Hi everyone, my name's Steve Tudor and welcome to the Friday Show. It's a show that thinks a valuation of £6 billion for Manchester United is £5,500,000,000 too much for a club that's only won the League Cup in the last seven years. On today's pod, we're looking back on last night's Euro qualifier in Naples, as well as sticking a thermometer up the bum of City, checking the Blues' temperature and seeing what health we're in ahead of a huge and defining couple of months. We'll also be a bit patronising towards Chelsea at some point, so that's always worth sticking around for. To discuss all this and more, I'm joined today by a veritable dream team of Lloyd, Asan and Howard. Lloyd, are you there? You well? Good morning. I am good. Morning, yeah, I'm good. good to hear. Thank you. How's uh, your weekend shaping up? Um, busy. It was my birthday last week, so I've organised a thing with some mates on tomorrow, uh, tonight, and then... Me and Beck are going on holiday, so I've got a lot yes. of work to wrap up. Ooh, Benny Dorm, is it? <laughs> Benny Dorm away, mate. That voice you heard in the background saying Barbs was ASAN. Hi, ASAN, you well? Morning, Steve. Yeah, I'm really good. good. How is your weekend shaping up? It's shaping up to be a, a thirsty weekend. Right, and... Yeah, we were saying off air that that hasn't been the case recently. Are you going to be a bit of a lightweight in that regard then? I think so. I think so. <laughs> although although I went and had uh, a little drink with an Arsenal friend of mine um, last night. And yeah, <laughs> I had to drink beer to listen to him. It was, uh... was was he giving it large? Does he believe that the title is, is theirs? No, no, right. no, no, no. I, I, I think that... Uh, he was just trying to impress upon me how important it was for Arsenal that they win this league title and how even if City were to win it, would we really be that arsed? <laughs> and I was like, well, look, to be honest with you, mate, it's probably not going to be the same as, as 2011, 2012. But having said that, I absolutely want to win the title and I certainly don't want Arsenal to win it. Yeah, that's a big factor for me now as well. It's stopping them winning it as well as us winning it, which doesn't reflect well on me, but nah. <laughs> uh, Howard, you there? You well? I am. I'm fine, thanks. Good. It's Friday. It's early. It Not is early, yeah. Up. Yeah. A bit <laughs> froggy in the throat today, yeah. How yeah. is uh, how's your weekend looking? Uh, quiet, so which I'm really happy about. So, well, Lots uh, coming up after yeah. this weekend, so it's kind of nice when you know there's more coming up that you've got a quiet one, so I'll just go to the pub then. <laughs> I might even be so bored on Sunday or watch England again. Who knows? So, uh, what, ta- what time is it? Is it four o'clock? About half is it? five or something. Oh, is it? Like that, so. right. It's background TV, really, into England a lot of the time. England, so. Ukraine is certainly you know, background TV. The Italy game was a lot more interesting. So, can I just ask you a question? Of course. What's if you had to choose another big team to mm. pip City to the title? Who's who would it be? Is it Chelsea all over? Or? Yeah, I, I I always feel strangely apathetic towards yeah, Chelsea. Exactly. I don't I don't see any of them much on. Mm. Jennings don't really count. I don't see many of them on Twitter. <laughs> and I guess if they're not in your Twitter timeline, you just get on with your life, can't you? So. And I don't know a Chelsea fan in real life as well, so no, that that does actually. help absolutely. And um, the reason I was asking you all about your weekends, of course, is because it's international break, which leads us on to last night's Italy and England game. Um. I want each of your thoughts on kind of the big instance and, and the game overall. Um, and I guess that's probably the best place to start. So Lloyd, 2-1 win in Italy is not to be sniffed at. Um, we'll, we'll kind of dig down into the actual performances very soon, but 
just looking at that, that I mean, that's a great start, isn't it, to the Euro campaign? That's, uh, undoubtedly, that's England's hardest game out of the way. Yeah, it is for sure. And I think after what happened, you know, in the in the final against Italy, um, there are probably some demons to settle there. Um, and over the last couple of years, England have been not very good at playing the big sides outside of tournaments. So I think, yeah, I, th- I think that was a big result. I... I didn't manage to catch the game live. I've only watched kind of extended highlights because I was working last night, but um, I do think that's a big result. And it was good to see, at least from the outset, Southgate stick with kind of a back four, play three midfielders, and obviously, you know, play a, play a kind of standard front three. I was worried he was going to revert to to five at the back because Maguire's so crap that he wants to play him that we end up, we end up having to play you know, a kind of back five and it's all a bit of a fudge. So I'd say pretty positive. Um, although off air, Asun had some risable things to say about the second half. So I think I'll let him so go. So did I, to be honest. Well, absolutely. I'm going to come to Asun shortly and particularly that second half and, and the nature of that second half. But before we do, how would the, the lineup quite surprised me, I have to say. Um, I had to do a betting preview beforehand and I was thinking it's going to be Trippier and not Walker. Um, I didn't think it was going to be Rice and Phillips, and I didn't think it was going to be Greenish. I thought it would be Foden, so I got it hopelessly wrong. Um, what did you make of the actual lineup, given the fact that, you know, it's England in Naples? No, no, I thought it was quite predictable, in a way. Right. Uh, I mean, you should have listened to our <laughs> yes, podcast yesterday, I should. where Asan leaked the news ahead of the kickoff, anyway. <laughs> so, uh, he mentioned that Phillips would be starting and I think Grealish was starting and one other. Um, it's a weird one because when you actually look, you know, you think, is this, I hate, golden generation must be one of the worst football phrases yes. ever coined. But is this one of our best squads? In a way, yes. Yeah, that's why I've been a bit critical, well, a bit critical. Why I've been critical of Southgate in the past is like, yeah, we've got close to winning trophies, but this bunch of players should be. But then you actually look at some areas of the the team and you think there's not much depth there, is there? Because we were debating on the preview show, Maguire's going to start, is he not? Because what's the alternatives? And he trusts him. And Calvin Phillips is a surprise, but having two deep players like that, away to Italy no surprise whatsoever yeah and if you're yeah. going to do that who else are you going to put in there I mean you might you might play Henderson but you know it's not not an identical player but you could have played him instead of Phillips in a slightly different shape and Foden of course he's no it didn't surprise me at all because he won't play him in the middle and if Pep's not playing him in the middle then Gareth Southgate probably won't play him in the middle yeah he could have put him out wide but Grealish has been playing well so you could argue for either of them, really, in a way. Uh, so I don't think there was actually that much surprise when you, you know you realise who's out. So of course Sterling and Rashford are out. There's not much depth in central defence, and I, I absolutely expected Walker to start because he's our first choice right back. So yeah, yeah, he could have done something like crazy, like a back three or something, and. Walker could have been part of them, one of the back three. Uh, but if he's playing with a back four, it actually wasn't that surprising a team, I don't think. Though it was slightly underwhelming in a way, I think. Do you not think Reese James would play? I mean, he's obviously got a, a claim to play, but Walker's been there for so long. And it's Italy away. Well, I mean, as we said on the preview, 
if he's going to experiment and look to the future and do other stuff, we, I never thought it'd be this game. It'll be the ones that follow this game. Mm. I can always see Southgate going into his shell for this game, the hardest one, and coming up first and going with tried and trusted players that he used, he's used before. So for that reason alone, it didn't really surprise me. No, fair enough. I mean, okay, I, I accept all that, but it has to be said that it was an impressive first half nonetheless. Mm. Um, and, and a fairly adventurous one for England, given the nature of the, of the game. Um, and it led to two goals, um, an early goal by Rice. England continued to go toe-to-toe, I would say, with Italy throughout that first half, um, and then got a, 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 I probably would say it was a penalty. Um, does anyone disagree with that? Would anyone say that wasn't a penalty? Not handball? I mean, under the laws of the game, it is a penalty. Yes, that, yeah. You know, as, they're in, as they're carried out and interpreted, it's absolutely a penalty, yeah. So, There's I'm a separate kind of, argument that you might think those are soft, but hey... That's for another I, time. I would yeah. go along with both of those assessments. It was soft, but by the laws of the game. It is a penalty. Yeah. Yes. So I'm kind of fast forwarding through the first half because as impressive as England were, they're now at a situation where they're 2-0 up against Italy uh, at half-time in the first qualifying um, game of the Euro 2024. Everything's going well. Um, Asan, then Southgate kind of does a Southgate, would you say, um, at half-time? Um, was it... A, was it very much a different England that emerged for the second half that nearly lost the game? It was a terrible England that emerged for the second half. It was it was painful watch after the first half. I should say I I, I really enjoyed the first half performance. I thought mm. I agree with everything that you said. I think that it was it was a lot more adventurous than I expected it to be. I think you saw I was really impressed with uh Bellingham and, and Declan Rice. I thought they were both excellent um and really almost bullied um, Jorginho and Verratti at times. It was really good to see. Um, and you see the qualities that both of those players have got. So, and there's the, Grealish has that big chance, doesn't he, in the, uh, in the first yes. half to make it yeah. 3-0, mm. which he's really got a score. Um, so it's almost the perfect first half, but, you know, it, it kind of, it's very fitting with Gareth Southgate, in my opinion, of Southgate, that they come out in the second half and it is like they've replaced 11 players. The performance in the second half is horrendous. And it starts with Pickford blamming the ball long every single time he got the ball. And that in and of itself and the amount of just really poor quality, time-wasting, pathetic, two minutes into the second half, players gone down. Just like really like I'm just watching it going you don't need to play like that. You can actually beat these just by playing football. And for me, in the end, what happens is Italy go, oh, so you're not actually going to try in the second half. So we can just do what we want to do and build ahead of steam, which is exactly what they do. And it was, was, I mean, Southgate will go out. I won the game. So it's, it's a perfect evening. I will say it's the monumental failure of management and coaching to be that dominant in the first half and then just perform in such a horrendous manner in the second half. I've got nothing to say about that second half performance. Nothing good anyway. Nothing nothing that I saw in that second half impressed me. Ari Maguire was horrendous. His performance in the second half. And again, like you've got a defender who hasn't played very much football. It's not very good at defending right now. So what you don't do is go, lads, let's invite loads of pressure. That's the mm. opposite of what you should be doing. But he does yeah. exactly that. 
given the fact that um, this is a relatively easy group, I would say, for England, considering that two progress from this group, um, Lloyd, is it too simplistic to suggest that the three Lions, should they better Ukraine, uh, Ukraine's results, that, that they're destined for the tournament? I mean, or in fact, we could even boil it down to even more simplistic kind of analysis where would you say that if England get three points on Sunday, they are as good as at the Euros? Yeah, I would agree. So in that instance, then, are you expecting the same kind of lineup against Ukraine, same philosophy, same outlook? Um, I think I think there might be a couple of changes just because you're at home, you've got the Italy game out of the way, you've got three points, kind of tick, tick, tick. Um, so I think, like Howard said, you might see Reese James, maybe Foden plays, and maybe one, one of the different midfielders play um, with Bellingham and Rice. But apart from that, I would imagine Southgate will, will keep it pretty strong and yeah, we'll try and get three points. And then I think, like, yeah, I think if you beat Ukraine, England are pretty much as good as qualified, I would say, because I, I just don't see them slipping up in the, in the games against the Minnows. You don't want yeah. to overwork Phil Foden after his 12 minutes on the pitch. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, that was annoying. That I'd was probably annoying. prefer Phil doesn't play given his foot injury, but I guess by the fact that he's coming on shows that he is, he is fit enough to play, but we've had problems in the past with Phil and England uh, in terms of them managing his fitness. So I'd probably rather he just sits on the bench. Well, it- Italy won for uh, that. England won in Italy for the first time in sixty years. So it is. Mm. It is yeah. It's a great result. It is an absolutely great result. It has to be said. Yeah, uh, no was, matter how it's achieved. And there was yeah. some great defending in that second half. John Stones was immense, absolutely immense. So that's what I take from the second half. I think he was the best player on the pitch. But it was a Southgate, it was Gareth Southgate, perfectly encapsulated in 90 minutes, I think. Because I think the failure of that second half is he, he's just not reactive at all. Hmm. It's just like, it's fine, Italy come out. They're going to come out and the tuna down at home, they've not lost. I, can't, I was kind of listening to the commentary, but not really, because Dion Dublin was on coach, yeah. which made yeah. me want to pine for the days of Andy Hinchcliffe, basically. I mean, he's just terrible. Just state. I mean, like, England got a corner and go like, oh, this is a good opportunity for England, this from the corner. It's like, no shit, Sherlock. It's a corner. We know what they are. Well, like, like, Howard, Howard, my favourite was when... He said it was um, Italy uh, did a light-hearted appeal for a penalty. It's like, light-hearted appeal for a penalty? What, they're joking around? I mean, oh, come on, ref. Everything he said was either obvious or just wrong. (laughs) Just nonsense. Anyway, yeah. So, you know, Italy's record is ridiculously good. Obviously, yeah, they're Italy. So, and it would take something from the backs of the wall, but he's not reactive. It's like, yeah, Italy come out strong and uh, having, you know, dominating the ball, do something. Uh, He made subs, but nothing really changed. And you also see them playing it out, trying to play out from the back, and it's like, it's like the early days of Pep Guardiola watching England play out from the back. You've got some players who can do it, obviously John Stone's being obvious, but you still like holding your breath a bit mm. that a calamity is <laughs> is imminent, especially when Harry Maguire's uh, trundling around uh, the pitch. So I think you've got, a, you've got a perfect encapsulation of England. They were timid in the second half. They went into the shell a bit. They tried to protect what they had, but they were also excellent in the first half. You got a bit of everything, and yeah, I think it summed up uh, his managerial reign 
completely, to be honest. But they are through. Yeah. <laughs> they are, as I said, you know, on an earlier pod, there's, there's very little jeopardy nowadays, especially if you win the hardest game of the campaign in your first game. Then the jeopardy's pretty much gone now. So, um, Asan, looking at England as overall, so not just last night, but you know, incorporating the World Cup as well, and kind of where they're heading as well. Um, what would you do different to what Gareth Southgate does? Is it are there team selections that annoy you? Are there kind of is there a, an approach, a general approach that you would do different? I just don't think that he's got the. I don't think that he's got the the skill set and the qualities to to go and win a tournament, to be perfectly yeah. frank, because I don't think that he he's not he's not reactive at all. I don't think he has the tactical now or the acumen um, to look at something that is not working in a game and then fix it. That second half, if England lose that second half three two, I don't think that anybody goes, oh, that's totally undeserved. That for for the second half they gave. They gave everything to Italy and they said, all right, come and, come and attack us. And England had no answer, no tactical answer, nothing from the... I mean, the fact that his substitution was Grealish for Foden kind of told me everything that I needed to know about just how little uh, Southgate really knew about what to do next. And that's the big worry for me is I just don't... I think whenever England lose control of a game of football under Southgate, they never get that control back again and you won't win anything if you are that brittle in your mentality and it, it is it's a mentality thing but i think it comes from southgate i i i always have this thing where you know if you if you if city start a second half of football and in the first 10 minutes edison blams the ball long three times you know that at half time somebody's told him stop playing it short go long and it's the same with england you you watch that game last night there's no way that those players themselves decided well you know what having bullied and dominated italy for for 45 minutes what we should do for the next 45 is just sit on the edge of our own penalty area and play like scared scared little boys somebody's told them to do that which is why they've done it and that's not acceptable for me i think one of the problems england have is the staff not so much gareth southgate i think if you look at every club you know i would assume most international setups they have kind of a number two or your know, trainer there who is really popular with the players who's got an outgoing personality very gregarious and very likable and i think southgate has kind of selected his staff based on his mates basically people who are very like him and so you have but they all seem to be quite identical they all seem to be very kind of reserved very conservative very sensible individuals you don't have you know, someone who's really outgoing as, as a backroom staff. And I think that's always really an underrated factor, I think, in any very team holistic, success. Very holistic. Very holistic yeah. backroom staff. He, he does have a very holistic backroom staff. Um, uh, uh, yeah, word I first heard didn't even know existed until 2014. <laughs> yeah. No, I, sorry, I, was it 2000? I had to look it up. I remember looking it up. 2013, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, just, I, all I would say is, like, we've seen it now from evidence. Uh, yeah, England got the result this time, but when England are ahead in a big game against tough opposition, I don't have the confidence that they'll go and look for a second goal, but instead will try and protect what they have, which is just dangerous mm. and counterproductive for me. So, 
Well, yeah, we've seen that play out. I mean, it's, it's absolutely true. Um, okay, I'm going to start with Lloyd and then Howard and then Asan, and then um, we're going to get to a certain footballer. But before we do, and to give a clue of which footballer I'm alluding to, Jude Bellingham aside, Lloyd, <laughs> which England player would you love City to sign? Great question. Um, I'm stuck between a few. I think... Saka would be amazing. Yeah. But it's just never going to happen. So I'll veer away from him just based on that. Um, and say one of James or Chilwell, I think. Um, either of those, I think they're both great players. Chilwell obviously has injury issues, but I've always rated him, to be honest. Um, apart from that game where Mahrez completely cooked him. Yes. Uh, at the Etihad. Yeah. But Mares literally dropped an absolute ten out of ten. I was at the Etihad that day. It was it was amazing to watch. But I think they're both excellent fullbacks. We obviously have very few fullbacks. We don't really know what they are at City these days. So I would say one of those lads. Yeah, I think the Chilwell kind of Morris thing was mainly based on they knew each other so well from training together at Leicester. So it was kind of two mates just come up again. I don't know, I I put that down as a one off. I do rate Chilwell. Um, Howard, any player for the setup? I think Lloyd Stella Mathunder, Chilwell. Yeah, you know, looking at it realistically rather than, oh, yeah, we can go and. Can, can I just quickly jump in and say to, to both of you, not, not Luke Shaw? No. Okay. He's got his biscuits, mate. He's got way too many biscuits. <laughs> Sorry, Howard, he, back to you. But... He definitely came back from the World Cup overweight as well, not just mm. Calvin Phillips. He, uh, he waddled off last night, didn't he, Luke Shaw? It's the first time I've seen a player sent off and actually waddle off. (laughs) We could joke, but I'd kill for that physique. So, yeah. It's like calling Frank Lampard fat. It's. uh... (laughs) Yeah, I know. Yeah. (laughs) But sorry, I interrupted. Uh, Go on. Chelsea just better. The the, the minute he returned to the side recently, Chelsea, they were Mm, better for it. Yeah, that's fair. And he obviously fills a need in the squad. So. Okay. Beast James Saka, yeah. Obviously great, but. They're not leaving, are they? So, uh, you know, otherwise there's not, there's, yeah, there's, there's no one else you'd really pick, is there? So. I, I wouldn't say no to Harry Kane being a backup to, to Erling, you know. <laughs> to be but honestly, I mean, if he was free and wanted to play for us for free, it would still pose a lot of dilemmas squad wise to ha- have him put into the exactly. squad, would it not? So. Yeah, same with Rice, with, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, Aysan, any, any other player that catches your eye and you'd love to see at the Etihad? I mean, probably Declan Rice, you know. Any problems with Rodri, though? No, I just, I don't think that Declan Rice is a number six. I just, I I, I feel as though he is way more of a box-to-box midfielder than he is a number six. And I think that... I like Declan Rice a lot. I, d- I do think that you he think would he could bring play in the eight for City. Sorry, do you think he could play in the eight for City? I don't think that we play with two eights. I don't think we have for quite a while now. I think if you look back to the the last eighteen months, two years, I think what you found is that one of what we consider to be the two eights holds Rodri's hand. So, do you look at a lot of the big games? That Bernardo Silva has played in, where it's where we've thought it's a four-three-three. It tends to be Rodri and and Bernardo almost stood next to each other. So I think, and also I think in terms of 
I, I, the question you're asking me is, has he got the, you know, the technical skills to play as a, as a hybrid eight, 10 in the way that KDB or, or, or David Silva do? No, I don't think he does. But then at the same time, I, I don't think Bernardo Silva's attacking output is anything at all to write home about. Um, Gundo is a completely different matter, but I think that Gundogan will have to be replaced by somebody like Bellingham, somebody who is much more of a an eight ten hybrid. But I like Declan Rice, and I think that if Bernardo Silva is to leave, um, Rice is certainly a player who I'd be looking at and considering to bring in. And you know, the other side of that is that he's a player who, a little bit like Gundo, I guess, can play as box to box midfielder, but in a pinch can play as a six as well. So. Yeah, I, I, I like Rice. I'm, I'm on the I'm on the Declan Rice hype train, which is a surprise because a year ago I was like, I'm not sure about him, but he's really impressed me in the last twelve months. Well, the reason I said Bellingham aside at the start of that, that question was because you know we would, everyone would have obviously and rightly said Jude Bellingham, um, but with you bringing kind of Declan Rice into the equation, we'll, we will get to Bellingham shortly. What I want to ask kind of the three of you um, is we are being closely linked to Bellingham. We are being linked, I wouldn't say closely, but we are being linked to Declan Rice. Um, Lloyd, does it matter to you that next season City could conceivably have seven or eight of England's first team lineup um, as regulars? It, it, or, or is nationality just irrelevant to you? It's not, uh, it's definitely not irrelevant. I think I like having some of England's best players. I think it gives the team um, a bit of an identity and an energy that you just don't have from um, having a load of uh, kind of foreign lads, particularly, mm-hmm. I, you know, I think Phil is obviously massive for us because he's come through the academy. He's a Manc lad. He's a City fan. That obviously gives the team a, a lot, I think. Um, and yeah, I enjoy having like Stones, Walker, blah, blah, blah. But I must say, Asan said something a few weeks ago that definitely resonated with me that the English lads do have a bit more of a problem, I think, with their professionalism compared with some of their <laughs> compatriots. And I think you reckon having, having a squad having a squad full of English lads would make me nervous, but I do. I think their individual cases, to be fair, and I think you know Calvin Phillips, for example, hasn't really set the world on fire at all at City but I don't think there are any doubts about his temperament or off the field stuff um, by all accounts Rice is a is a top top professional yes yeah um, top, top, I top, don't top, get top. the impression top 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 <laughs> I don't get the impression that Bellingham is anything other than you know incredibly driven I think to have got where he's got at this stage is very impressive so I don't really have those concerns about him but you know Chilwell's a big party boy with Grealish. Like, you know, do you know what I mean? If we, if we got like three of those in, I would be a bit like, we're just becoming like mobs away um, as a <laughs> team. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a fair comment. Um, I mean, speaking as a Welshman, it, it has no impact on me whatsoever, but I can see it. And I'm, specifically, I can see the influence over referees and, and the kind of, you know, extraneous advantages to be to having England players in that, that setup. I mean, we saw that at United for so many years. Um, the influence that, you know, Rooney, for example, had over a referee because the referee was a bit starstruck because it was England's captain. It does play into it, I think. It is a factor. Kane has it now. 
Kane has it. Absolutely, Kane has it. Yeah, we saw it last night, and it was was it Slovenian the referee, but he was starstruck by Harry Kane. You Brilliant. Can see oh, to just sorry, I had to up the top shithousery from him to crawl on all fours back onto the pitch <laughs> after he'd uh, kind of ripped a cross out for a corner. Yeah, which hurt him, and he on all fours just limped back onto the pitch, so they had to uh, stop the game. It was yeah. <laughs> England's captain there, so setting a wonderful um, example. Yeah. <laughs> let's move on to the future England captain, uh, the future England superstar, or maybe you might think he's a superstar already. Um, absolutely amazing last night, I thought, particularly in the first half. Um, and yes, he is still only 19, Jude Bellingham. Oh. Um, yep, yep. Uh, right, I, I want basically a free-for-all here, so whoever kind of wants to jump in, just jump in. Um, I... I'm desperate for him to come to City. But furthermore, I'm fascinated by the development of this player because whoever he plays for, just as a football fan, it's brilliant to see this young kid come through and just boss games in the manner that he did last night. Absolutely boss it. Um, I'll start with you, Asan. How good is Drew Bellingham? He's a KDB regen. He's probably the nearest thing that, that I've seen to De Bruyne since De Bruyne has come to City in terms of being a young player but having a kind of footballing maturity and a footballing intelligence that is just, you know, something else. And then I think what I would layer on top of that, he's really athletic. He's somebody who you watch him and you feel as though he's... I There's a, there's a difference between being a really good footballer and being a really good footballer who could play for Pep Guardiola. And I think oftentimes the difference is for me in what you do when you haven't got the football how do you how do you move how do you position yourself what do you do when you're are, are you mentally one step ahead when the ball is coming to your feet do you know what you're going to do next what's your body position like your body shape but just the this there's loads of basic stuff that make city as a team better than most of the teams that they play and it is a kind of the training that guardiola gives them what they learn and it's the qualities that they have when they come to the club and i think bellingham ticks every single box in terms of looking at the evolution of our midfield looking at De Bruyne's age, and that's not to say that De Bruyne's going anywhere, yeah, but the point is that there's going to come a point where De Bruyne's skill set will be utilized a little bit deeper for various reasons, mainly because he won't be as athletic as he was four years ago, for example. Um, and then you're going to need somebody with KDB's skill set further up the pitch, and and I think Bellingham is is very much that guy. Um, yeah, I mean... I, it's it's a funny one. I I'm I'm not sure how I felt about in honestly even going into the World Cup, I was a little bit like looking at the fees being quoted for Bellingham, and I was going, really, like, is he that mm. good? Um, but now I'm more than convinced that he, I, I, the way I look at it, I feel as though there's very few young footballers. Um, in the world that you'd look at and go one day he could replace Kevin De Bruyne as the best midfielder in the Premier League and arguably in Europe. And I think we've been really lucky that post the takeover, the the first title winning team was built around Yaya Torre, who was the best midfielder in the mm. Premier League. And then we, I remember on these podcasts in the early days, conversations around 
how are we ever going to replace Yaya Torre and what he brings to the team? And then Kevin De Bruyne comes in and he becomes the preeminent midfielder in the league and our best midfielder. And he becomes our talisman in the way that Torre was. And I just think it's written that Jude Bellingham will be the next guy. Yeah, I think that's bang on that. Um, I can remember I think he's going to Liverpool, then, eh? <laughs> can you remember Birmingham retiring his shirt when he, when he left Birmingham? And I remember thinking, well, no player is that good. Well, maybe he is. Maybe he is. Um, His Mo brother's Cow- supposed to be tidy as well. So. Oh, really? Can I just can I just say something? Um, I, I spoke to somebody yesterday who I'm not going to name because it's not fair on them, but uh, they basically told me that the entire kind of narrative that him and his dad are massive scousers is just not true that they are that his dad was a liverpool fan growing up but that they've been birmingham city fans for for a long 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 time and they've got a box at birmingham city and when asked who they support they both say birmingham city uh, it's the scousers that have overplayed the uh, <laughs> the, the no the, 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 that is out of character, doesn't, I would suggest. And also, like and also, um, just uh, we, I, I had a conversation around the fee, and Birmingham City have a twenty-five percent sell-on clause, right? Which is why Dortmund want absolutely top dollar, and they want it in one go. And it also explains why, from the Bellingham camp point of view. They are not trying to drive the price down. They also want him to go for top dollar because they know that Birmingham will get a large chunk. Yeah, I was going to say 30 million or so for Birmingham would be huge. They need it. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's time to open that war chest. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, all of that is not to say that that I think that he's definitely coming to City or that you know Liverpool definitely can't get him. But I do think that... Uh, from from everything that from everything that I've 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 been told, it's been massively overplayed by the Scousers. Surprise, surprise. Um, yeah. How would anything to add on on Bellingham and and basically what 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 you see and and how you view him? No. Oh. Uh, I mean, I've actually you know seen some people say. He wouldn't fit in tactically at City. Like, <laughs> nah, no, no, it absolutely would. There's evidence last night where I was, really, I was watching quite closely last night, and exactly as Aysan said, it's offable when we're not in possession. That lad, it's just like he's just plugged into the matrix. He, he just gets it. He just gets it. And I, and I know it's so a meme to mention his age, but 19 is still so far <laughs> off. He's, no, no, I'm not doing yeah, it for that reason. No, no, I know. Yeah, yeah. So far, it's incredible off his peak period. Yeah, really. Eight, eight years from the old traditional peak. Although I don't think 27 I'm, is the peak of a player's career. No, nah, probably younger, maybe younger now. Or, I would or say the 25. Peak period yeah. can be a lot longer. Basically, it could be like six, seven year period easily. Yeah. So, look, he's not. It's not identical to Kevin De Bruyne, but we didn't replace Yaya Torre with another Yaya Torre. Mm. We played slightly differently because we're not that rigid flexible yeah not that rigid tactically under pet that we have to bring in an identical player of course he could fit into us tactically yeah. you have these set of players and he'll find a way he's found a way to play without fullbacks he can find a way to put Jude Bellingham into a football team and make it work so look he faded big time second half the entire England 
forward line, midfield onwards did because the ball just wasn't reaching them. But there was enough in that first half to show what he's capable of. And yeah. oh, I can't can't mention his, his age and be serious at the same time. But we shouldn't be expect as big a talent as he is, we shouldn't be expecting him to be bossing England against Italy anyway. Exactly. You were a teenager last night bossing the game in Naples. I mean, that, that's what it comes down to. It's, no, but I mean, even if he wasn't, we shouldn't be expecting, we shouldn't be saying, well, he didn't boss the game, he's not therefore worth 120 million. You're buying such potential and such, mm. you know, he's already reached a level. And of yeah. course, if he was to move on, he'd almost certainly maintain that level. So it's huge money, but it's, it's not the ri- when you're buying someone that young who's already showing that skill set. It's not yeah. that much of a risk, which sounds ridiculous for the price it'll probably cost. Well, talking of moving on, are you okay to move on, Lloyd, or is, do you have anything to add uh, regarding Bellingham? I think the only thing to say is, for my side, I feel I felt similar to Asan in that I was like, God, that it's a lot of money, and then I've watched more of it, and I just think it's one of those transfers where there's just like a one percent chance it won't work out like a bit like Haaland you're just like he's obviously just brilliant um and clearly suited to the prem I think my only concern is he's played a lot of football for a 19 year old and he but he's incredibly good for a 19 year old so um yeah I mean it's a complete no-brainer if I think if, if City can can convince him which it sounds like you know we're very much trying to do um I think the fee, whilst a bit scary, is probably fair um, for a player of that age, for that profile, who's English. So, yeah, I'm 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 very much on board with the idea of signing him. Obviously, um, I'll stay with you, Lloyd. How did you feel about the timing of this international break? Um, considering that Garbage. City, <laughs> like thirteen goals in the last two games for City, we were getting back into a serious groove. I felt. Um, so it, it was shit timing, wasn't it? Really annoying. I think more annoying than any international break that I can remember. I yeah, we were, yeah. We were really building ahead of steam. There was there was one earlier in the season when I can't remember when it was, and it just came at a great time. We weren't playing that well, and it was just like, oh, kind of thank God. Um, whereas this time, we'd really, you know, we'd we'd slap Leipzig, we'd slap Burnley, we. I feel like we've played a lot better in the last couple of weeks. I think performances have obviously gone up quite significantly over the last, I'd probably say, six to eight games. Um, and then the score lines, you know, in the last few have uh, have been amazing. So it it was just, I just felt like, give me Liverpool tomorrow. Like, I want to play. I wanna, yeah, yeah. Let's play them yeah. now. Um, coming back after the international break, all the players have been away the early kickoff, mm. it is re- it is really annoying. I do think it it's definitely helpful for Liverpool. Um, you know, we don't know what's going to happen on the injury front. Maybe you know one of their great players gets an injury, and we're all kind of chuffed about it. But you just don't know when players go away. Um, so yeah, very frustrating. Um, but what can we do? Yeah, um, excellent. From recent games with City. I mean, obviously the goals have been flying in and the performances have been decent. I mean, there was, you know, kind of uh, an off day at, at Palace. Um, but overall, I would say, as, as Lloyd said there, five, six games have, have started to kind of really pick up steam. Are there still flaws evident um, when you're watching City 
um, flaws that have cost us points this season? Or have they been eradicated, do you feel? No, I think we're defending better. And I think that's probably key. Um, Actually, we're defending better and we're attacking better. So, I mean, every team has flaws. um, But there's there's nothing uh, hugely evident. And I think the big thing for me... um, is probably more about next season. And that is just that I I think we've talked a lot about the idea of a season of transition. And I, for me, as long as you know what you're transitioning to and as long as you get to this stage of the season and have some view on what ne- next season will look like, then it makes the, the pain or the difficult months okay. It makes them acceptable. And I think that's the big thing right now that... It, the, the international break did come at a bad time, um, but it is what it is. You can't change that. You've when we come back, we've got the sprint or the run in the 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 big games. Everything is on a knife edge. We could win the travel, we could win nothing, um, but we look in the best form that we've looked in since the season began, and we look like a almost a completely different team to the team that won the title last season. And that's credit to Guardiola for being able to shape and shift the manner in which City play quickly enough that the entire season hasn't been written off? Yeah, I think a lot of that reshaping does come down to Haaland and I know it's a, a tired old trope and, and we'll touch on this very quickly before getting to his kind of current kind of injury concerns. Um, Howard, have you seen evidence that City are better utilising Haaland as regards to getting players closer to him, feeding him more, you know, getting him more involved in games. I, yeah, I think they're passing more. I mean, he's always been making those runs and you saw the frustration for yeah. a while. But ultimately, I think we've played teams who aren't playing dead against us, in which case it makes him even more dangerous. Leipzig wanted to play. Vincent Companies Burnley wanted to play. And that just makes him an absolute killer then when, you know, they're not just playing dead. And yeah. you saw at Crystal Palace, when a team plays dead, it will still be difficult because they don't want to engage with you. They don't want, they leave no space and they don't want to get up the pitch. It's always going to be more difficult. You know, even like Nottingham Forest or Bristol City or Bournemouth away, they, they allowed us to play football. The spaces were there. He's always going to make the runs. So, I mean, yeah, as I say, what was it? Eight goals in five-day period is just, just nonsense. <laughs> yeah. just utterly nonsense. So <sighs> There was a small period, there was a period where it, it wasn't quite working, the connection wasn't there. But I think the opportunities were always there. And yeah, I think players, it's it's weird. We've had this conversation, you know, and we'll, we'll never work it out if... When players are conservative, when they're trying to keep the ball rather than try to play that killer pass, as has happened and has frustrated us during games, mm-hmm. is it for Pep's instructions or is it the players not being ambitious enough? I've seen more ambition in recent times from the players to want to play that killer pass for him. But I've also think the opposition teams have helped in a way that they've wanted to engage with City and take us on, which for the opposition... Can often be very bad news indeed. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, speaking of potentially bad news, at least, um, word is that Haaland is indeed injured. It wasn't the case of him kind of staying back from international duty with, you know, a slight sprain. It could be more serious. Uh, Lloyd and Asan, have you heard anything regarding this? And if you're just kind of going off, you know, the reporters are coming out, how concerned are each of you? I'll start with you first, Asan. It's difficult to tell, if if I'm honest with you. I, it sounds... Obviously, from Alfie's interview, like yeah. it's, it could be um, more serious than we thought. But at the same time, you just don't know until until he comes back. I'm I'm interested. I think it's interesting. For example, that that he he went to Barcelona. I presume for a scan, um, and then he's gone to Marbella, Marbs, and. So I don't know, like I just, until they get back, I don't really know. I'm not, look, I'm not hugely worried. I'm of the opinion that if he's not right, just don't play him. I think City have, you know, we've, we've, we know how to play without a number nine. It's, it's almost like a muscle memory thing. So if Haaland can't play and it's got to be Alvarez, then it's Haaland can't play and it's got to be Alvarez. I, I, I would sooner not take any risks with Erling Haaland uh, with the Champions League still live and in play. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. And, and actually leads on to the question I want to ask you, Lloyd, which is, should he come back from the international break recovered to all extent and purposes? Would you still like to see him start against Liverpool it, you know, with lack of kind of training and match sharpness? Mess. It's tricky, isn't it? I mean, I think I only really want him to play against Liverpool if if he's definitely fine, like Asan says, because we've still got so many so many key games this season that, with the greatest of respect to Liverpool, insert joke. Um, I <laughs> I think to be honest, you know, we can get through that game without Haaland, um, and I, I would I'd rather. You know, he gets seven days, say, extra rest that he needs for the injury, than than try and rush him to play. As much as I think we all would all love him to play the game, you know, we've got we've got the Arsenal game, we've got all the Champions League games, we're still in the FA Cup. I think I think you've got to be cautious if 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 he's close to the line. So it's 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 impossible to say, but I I I'm absolutely fine with us playing Alvarez in in that game if we need to. His dad's been speaking, has he not? So, yeah, and I agree with him. He's got to be training for at least a couple of days beforehand. Yeah, it's not the last game of the season where you, oh, take a chance, get through it. You know, like the port did, and then he was out for six months with an injury because he, you know, he played through the pain right at the end of the season. We've got a huge two months ahead. Mm. Play him against Liverpool if he's fully fit. Otherwise, no midweek game after it, uh, a week, and then it's Southampton. So again, you know, you're looking at the, we don't know the problem, do we? We don't know, but I guess Bayern Munich's the target if there's any doubts over Well, you mentioned the fixtures coming up, Howard. I mean, indeed, results have improved, performances have improved. It feels to me that we're mounting one of our famous run-ins. Um, would you go along with that? And if so, should, should Arsenal be worried that they're now, okay, they've got an eight-point advantage, uh, haven't played one extra game, but... Um, should Arsenal be concerned now that they're up against the real Manchester City for the first time this season? No, they should just do their own thing. So, okay. I mean, they've got Leeds at home next time. So they, just... they should, but they won't. I mean, it's impossible not. They're going to be looking at our results, surely. 
Yeah, of course. I mean, it's it's an obvious two-horse race. Perhaps it was always an obvious two-horse race and has been for a long time. It was. Yeah, I don't think the players can just ignore what's going on. They do look, uh, but I don't think they're under any illusions as to what they're up against anyway. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, they'd love to have been 12 points clear and you know, City just stumbled somewhere else and have that a bigger gap. It's Psychologically, it just takes the pressure off them big time. And taking the pressure off them is having not being out, you know, being out of the FA Cup and getting games and ticked off whilst we weren't playing. So I think it has, by playing the game extra, it has taken the stress off them a bit, the pressure off them a bit. So, But yeah, five clean sheets on a row. Obviously, we are the form side in the Premier League. Uh, so they'll know, because after Leeds, they, the tough fixtures come for Arsenal. So mm. then we will find out what they're yeah. truly made of for the final time. Been saying it for six months and they've come through the challenges, but we'll find out then what they're made of because they've got three very tough away games, including City. And yeah, I guess, who knows? Who knows? I, I'm still doubtful from City, not being negative. I feel, you know, we're in a really good place now, City, obviously. Uh, as far as I know now, Harland apart, no injury still, fully fit squad. Those the form's excellent. We are, we have eradicated much of the issues, but I just think that five points. I say five, yeah, because if yeah. we win our game hand, it's West Ham at home. <laughs> West Ham yeah. at home is it? I think, and I'd expect the current West Ham. I'd expect us to win that comfortably. Though of course, we now lose Brighton away as well. So, you know, the games rack up. I just think that deficit could very well be key but they've got their, they've got tough running so they've got to go to Middlesbrough <laughs> <laughs> and I would love it I would love it if they, <laughs> if they drop points there yeah. I mean you're absolutely right we are in a good place right now and and hence you know quite an upbeat podcast rightly so um, individually Asan, who are the players who are in a good place right now who, who would you say are the most kind of informed City players who are really coming to the fore and, and making a difference right now? I think Ruben Diaz uh, is the rock upon which the current yeah. form is built. I think that's the first thing. I think Rodri probably in with a shout for player of the season. Um, and then I think that you see De Bruyne's reaction to Guardiola's kind of semi-veiled critique of him. Uh, and that's been really impressive. I think... You know, for me, it's really a triumph of the collective over any particular individuals. Uh, if I'm honest, I think that this run-in is really going to be about how do they perform collectively. I don't think that you you don't need somebody to be a superstar. You need the the eleven to play at seven out of ten, game in and game out. And I think that if they do that, then then you give yourself a really good chance at, at winning all of the games that you've got left. And I think in a way that has to be the aim. I don't think that I, I know that I find, I find that there was a period where looking at Arsenal's results was worthwhile. I think after this international break, it's going to be the moment where you can forget about Arsenal. Literally City just have to win every single game. Yeah. It's, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's shit or bust in that sense. And, and I'm okay with that. And I, I imagine that the, the squad and the players will somehow find a way to embrace that pressure. 
and if they can win, you know, if they can beat Liverpool, if they can get themselves to the Arsenal League game, having won every single game, then I think they're in with a really good chance of putting the the yeah, putting the pressure on Arsenal and 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 putting them in a position where maybe they do slip up. Yeah. Lloyd, I was going to ask for kind of um, the opposite, I guess, certain players out of form, but I'm not going to do that. It's, let's keep this upbeat today. England have beat Italy and Naples. City are banging in goals for fun. Um, the sun's out and the weekend is is a, is a foot. So let's keep it all upbeat. Aside and I'm going from, to mobs, so yeah. And you're going to mobs. Um, aside from one little kind of niggling concern that I have, and I think it's one shared by a lot of City fans, so we do have to touch upon it, which is the sacking of Julian Nagelsmann and the imminent appointment of Thomas Tuchel at Bayern. Mm. Um, what what have you made of it and how do you feel about it in relation to City's forthcoming Champions League tie? Yeah, I was I was really surprised, to be honest, when I saw the when I saw the confirmation. I think it had kind of leaked out an hour or two beforehand hadn't it that it might happen um, mm. but then to see the the tweet from Bayern literally announcing that Nagelsmann is gone and Tuchel is boss with immediate effect I was like wow uh, that's pretty crazy um, how, how do I feel about it in terms of us I mean I think Tuchel's a better coach than Nagelsmann from what from what I've seen anyway so I think in that sense, it's you know it's a slight it's it's a slight negative for us. Obviously, you know they they beat us in the Champions League final. I was there; it was painful. But you know we also had lots of good results against Tuchel whilst he was Chelsea manager. But I do I do think he's a manager that poses more problems than Nagelsmann tactically. Yes, to, to Guardiola. Yeah, he's he's you know he's just proven that that he can beat City and Guardiola teams. Um, but you know, he'll be coming in with, you know, no kind of body of work to go from coming in from the cold, literally. Um, and, you know, Tuchel has had problems with, with big players in the past. Um, Bayern have got plenty of those. You know, I I, I, can't, I don't think Leroy Sane, for example, is the easiest guy to, to, to manage from what, from what we can see. So, Jam yeah. Cancelo is an absolute <laughs> dream to coach. Don't yeah. put him on the bench. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's. I mean, yeah, so it's a big unknown, isn't it? But I, I think it's probably a net negative for City. But I would only say by like ten percent. Just to clarify something, um, Bayern haven't announced anything as of now. Right. Concerning the second or the tweet yesterday. But, nope. Bayern Munich have not confirmed that Nagelsmann has has been relieved of his duties wow. anywhere as of now. And the story this morning, oh, really? the, the kicker story last night was that somebody has leaked this before Bayern have even had the opportunity to speak to Nagelsmann. And there is some talk that Nagelsmann was going there this morning, having not been spoken to by any of the Bayern bosses as of now. So it's it's broken a touch prematurely. Have City not conceded the tie anyway? Mm, uh, probably. Yeah. I mean, Pep reads Twitter and having read hmm. our fragile fan base, he's surely <laughs> waving the white flag already and we'll put well, out a youth team again. Is there a, is, can, can somebody tell me why we're so... Um, 
uh, why suddenly we've elevated Tommy Tuchel to to the level that we've elevated him to? Is it because of the Champions League final? Because I'm I'm a bit confused. Like I don't think the Tuchel is like. You know, he had better players at Chelsea than he'll have at Bayern Munich, right? The, um, there were two games before that, but they, yeah, the two league games. They're well. very obvious they're circumstances to each of them that those who like to, you know, have a nervous breakdown with every little bit of news that comes out in the world just seem to overlook. So there's the FA Cup semi. Was it a semi final? I assume. Yes. Well, we've had our problems with them with multiple opposition coaches. Uh, we know the the time it falls in a season can be very problematic for Pep Guardiola team's performances. And there was that league game they won in the last minute in an empty stadium that didn't matter at all. I mean, it was annoying, but it didn't matter because we were cruising to a title or had already won it, I don't remember. And of course, we then thrashed them, I think, later on after that. So, or we beat them after that, I should say. Yeah. It's a man, it was two years ago, we managing a different team. I mean... Nagelsmann's Champions League record this season is flawless. Yeah. It's flawless. They've only conceded in one game. Yeah. And they've cleaned sheets against like to PSG twice. And yeah, Yeah. they've had some tough games. It wasn't going to be a walkover against Nagelsmann. I don't think it makes. Yeah, we're coming up against a canny coach who might be, you know, less expansive. And of course, they've got pace on the break. But he's only just coming in. He's not going to just suddenly transform the club, although he is quite good at having instant reactions. I don't think it makes a huge difference. It's going to be a really tough game, and it will be now, just in a slight, against slightly different tactics. Not that much has changed. It's going to be tough either way. So, mm. uh, um, Lloyd, Florian Plettenberg has just tweeted um, that uh, Nagelsmann... Uh, has been aware of the decision since yesterday, but he has not been informed. He will be informed of the final decision later today. He will he will be released, not sacked, which means that he'll remain on the payroll until he finds a new club. Um, that's messy. That is. That's just weird. That's, this- it's really. It's very. I said this last night. It's very unbiyan, and I'm going to make a bold prediction, which is that this blows up in their faces. Um, because as much as I rate Tuchel, um, I don't think that making this decision in this knee-jerk fashion with so little left of the season is good. It's good for next season because it gives Tuchel a head start in terms of his preparation for next season, but in terms of the Champions League and the rest of this season, I don't think there's a net positive there for Bayern. Not top of the league, are they? I I don't think it's due to results alone obviously something's gone on behind the scenes yeah he definitely gave, he gave quite a I don't know was it an outburst after their defeat last week I don't know he said some strange stuff I assume there's been some falling out behind the scenes as well as I mean <laughs> come on it might be, it might count as a bad season for Bayern but still what they've lost two or th- two or three games all season it's you don't sack a manager for those results alone no and just going back to what Aysan said earlier about the it hasn't been officially announced yet uh, I just find it fascinating that the Guardian um, have led with Bayern Munich sack Nagelsmann, whereas Sky Sports, Julian Nagelsmann, set to be sacked. And they both came out eight hours ago, and you rarely see that. It's like one organisation has gone with it and one hasn't, and that's, that's quite a rarity. So it's just a little curio just seeing mm. there. Um, 
Anyway, let's move on to um, the last kind of point of discussion today, which is the Spirit of Shankly statement they released this week concerning the reduction of allocated Liverpool tickets for the uh, imminent game at the Etihad. Um, before I throw it open to you guys, let's just, I'm not going to read out the whole statement, of course, but basically it has been reduced from, let's see now, uh, 3,028 in 2019 to 2,880 and this time out it's going to be 2,400 tickets they have said uh, at the corresponding fixture last season Liverpool fans experienced overzealous stewarding and policing and were locked in the toilets after the gate I were locked, oh sorry, locked in the ground that would be bad if you were locked in the toilet <laughs> <laughs> that would have, yeah, I, to be fair I would have sympathised with them there, they were locked in the ground after the game with no access to toilets um, they're basically stating that they've done nothing wrong and this is unfair and whereas the reality is that they have done things wrong in the past at the Etihad. I'm going to throw it open to you first, Asan. How did you view this statement by the spirit of Shankly? Very unclassy, very not cool, very um, just very out of touch with the reality of of the situation um yeah i mean scousers go out of their way to to uh ensure that i have a very low opinion of them continually they say things and they do things that just make me cringe um and yeah this is just another one of those things i mean quite literally their allocation has been caught because a young girl had her head split open mm. uh not because, just uh, that Sorry, not no, it's not just that, but it was not very one thing that happened at that match. It was a lot, sure, yeah. but very specifically. If you let me finish the point, I was no, I'm just saying, it, yeah, can I finish my point? Yeah, Thank I'm you. just saying. So, very specifically, if an incident like that had occurred at Anfield and a young girl had had her head split open and it had landed in the media, you can imagine the the histrionics and the drama that the Scousers would have created. I think the fact that it's gone on in reverse and they can't accept a small reduction in their ticket allocation speaks volumes about their inability to accept responsibility in this instance for what went on uh, at the Etihad. I just, I, I find it incredible that, that they can't accept responsibility for it. Just, yeah, I mean, I, I always assumed that the whole point of these types of supporter organizations was to have a sensible and objective view on what goes on. If you're just going to, you know, if, if, if that type of supporter group is just going to indulge itself in that kind of tribal nonsense, well, there's no point in having that supporter group. And certainly the people who platform people like SOS need to ask themselves when that statement came out, why nobody questioned it. There's too much platforming of that sort of nonsense as well. Anyway, that's my take on it. I may be wrong here, and uh, you know, I'll be happy to accept if I am wrong, But I, because I don't follow Spirit of Shankly, but I do see them a lot my timeline. And any discussions we've had um, that, that has arisen on social media about that incident at the Etihad, they, I don't think they've acknowledged it at any point. Now, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, uh, and I'll publicly say so later, but I don't think they've even acknowledged that. Anytime a City fan or any fan brings that up to them and says, well, what about what happened? 
they it goes they don't respond to those tweets and yet they're putting out as a statement that you know overzealous stewarding uh, and policing and were locked in the ground after the match which is pretty commonplace for away fans so Howard, you said it wasn't just that incident. Um, what else were you alluding to? No, I mean, there was things raining down the entire match. So. Right. But, I mean, I think it's also important to mention, that's what I mean, I was saying, that it was a horrible incident, that thing. But let's not assume that the reduction is because of that one incident. It was symptomatic of what happened during that match that was much more widespread. Mm. Uh, and also, it needs to be pointed out, this is a decision. I don't, you know, we weren't there the inner workings of how the decision was made, but it's not a club alone decision. It's police advice, a security, uh, a safety advisory group. It's not just on the club. I'm sure if you ask the club, they say they were advised that this, by the police especially, that there should be a reduced allocation and it was the right thing to do. So lumping it all on the club for starters is wrong. And They've got no one to blame for themselves because they turn a blind eye to all of this and always, and I've been doing for years. And at Anfield, when there was incidents in the 1 0 loss season of things possibly raining down, you know, coaches, coaches have been attacked, coaches yeah. have been spat at. Uh, uh, yeah, nothing happens. And City's chance, which of course I totally I do not, yeah, mm. I'm fine for being calling out chance. Suddenly, that's headline news, and no one's talking about the the coins at Anfield that were supposedly raining down, and nothing's ever sorted, nothing's ever done, and this is the end result of it. And by that, making that statement and refusing to take any responsibility, as they always do, for actions of their fans, and City have, of course, their bad individual fans as well, and the club have responded. To, you know, City have actually criticised in the past, and we as fans must do that. But if if they're going to pretend that they've done nothing wrong, then this is the end result and they've got no one to blame but themselves. Lloyd, feel, of course, feel free to add to this if, if you wish. Um, but if not, there's a question I'd like to ask you, which is coming on from a different tack, which is do you see the rivalry easing if Liverpool continue to regress on the pitch? So next season, if Liverpool finish sixth, let's say, or fifth, um, or is a bad blood now, is it just firmly established, do you think, between the two fan bases? I think I think there's a I think it's a bit of both to be honest. Um I think there is there is an increasing increased rivalry between us and the Scousers. But I think that is a byproduct of playing massive tight games against yes. them. Yeah. And competing with them as a kind of title contender as well as you know like a local rival. Um so yeah, if they disappear into obscurity then I think the temperature comes down a bit but I do think there there is and has been bad blood between City and, and Liverpool fans and you know I I right now you know where, where we are I feel differently about Liverpool than you know I did say 10 years ago or, mm. or whatever and their fans um, there's been a lot of water that's passed under the bridge um, so I think we'll continue to have needle with them and you know stories like this and you know them reacting like this definitely doesn't help um but i i echo what the boys have said i mean i just found i was really confused i i, I kind of read the statement and was like i just don't i, I don't know where they're coming coming out yeah yeah 
If, if, if he said previously, or indeed in the statement, it's outrageous and wrong what took place that evening, it is also wrong about this reduction in tickets, then, yeah, but they didn't. It's just concentrating on the one, on the reduction of tickets, which is a consequence of the first thing. Yeah, it, it's annoying to see that. It's just not. It's not good from them because, to be fair, I've seen them do a lot of good. Yeah, I've seen them do that. a lot of good stuff to, yeah. around like ticket prices, you know, fan engagement, uh, Super League, yada yada yada, which is absolutely relevant. Yeah, so Our I was experiences a bit... at the Champions League final were absolutely horrific for many fans, and yeah, yeah. done some good stuff there. But trying to, you know. Actually, to bl- not only like refuse to take responsibility, but <laughs> put it onto yeah, city yeah. stewards and say that other teams have had reduced capacity uh, allocations. Have they? I don't remember. Certainly not this season. Just Liverpool. Why is it yeah. just Liverpool? Yeah. Lads, we're going to leave it there. Uh, I think we've covered a lot of ground today and you three have done it superbly. So thank you very much for joining us today, Asam. Absolute pleasure, mate. I love that. Thanks, Howard. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks, Lloyd. Well hosted, see. You oh, you know what? That. Yeah. Sorry. Can I do one thing? It'll take thirty seconds. Uh, there's been there's been lots of stories in the media about Harlan's uh, release clause or what it is and 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 how it works and all that business. Um, so Harlan's release clause actually isn't active whilst Guardiola is the manager of uh, of City. So and if Guardiola were to leave at the end of his contract in the summer of 2025, then. Haaland's release clause would be active in the summer of 2026, which would be with basically he'd have 12 months left on his contract then. So if he doesn't sign another, even if he were to not sign any other deal at City, he can't leave City until the summer of 2026, realistically. Um, but I expect he'll do a new deal before then that will get rid of all of these clauses. But yeah. That that story in the Spanish press was true. His uh, his release clause isn't active whilst Guardiola is the manager. Nice. This is Guy's getting a pay rise, isn't he? I think. <laughs> yeah, Definitely. Well, he's scraping by as it stands. So. <laughs> um, thanks, everyone, for listening in today. Really appreciate it. That's a wrap for today. We're off to get out of doing DIY this Saturday by claiming we have to watch Scotland v Cyprus for work purposes. In the meantime, take care of yourselves, be well, and forever up the squeaky clean blues. <laughs>